0: Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Natureversity podcast. Today, I am joined with Angel Schatz of the Central Texas Mycological Society. And Angel, thanks so much for being here. And uh, we're just such nature nerds here at Natureversity. And I think I've always, I don't know, strayed away from fungi because I've heard of the dangers uh, and hazards of eating it. And I think that's where... Uh, we decided to to place it is up on this pedestal of, oh no, like be on the lookout. So I'm really excited mm-hmm. to have you here to kind of dispel some of those truths to allow both yes. listeners and our community members here in Central Texas, how to get started reconnecting with our roots, yes, truly.
1: with our fungal allies. Yeah. Yes. Thanks for having me. Well,
0: cool. Where were you born? Tell us your story.
1: So yeah, so I grew up in the Midwest, um, in Missouri. And I was very fortunate to have uh, grandparents that had farms. And so I spent a lot of time outdoors. I also had a pretty unconventional upbringing too. I have 11, uh, 10 siblings. And we um, didn't have television or any of that sort of things. My parents were pretty fundamentalist about things. And I didn't like it at the time. But I, you know, what we had to do was spend time outdoors and, um, you know, uh, my grandparents, they had like a flashcard deck of, of, um, mushrooms and it was through the Missouri conservation program. They, they, they would have these like programs for kids. And so I learned all about mushrooms and wildlife and, all of the reptiles and fish and all those sort of things. And I loved uh, learning about those. But I do remember, and I it really, really, like, stuck in my mind. I uh, learned about the destroying angel. And I felt this affinity because of my name. And it just felt paradoxical, too. Like, wow, so beautiful, yet deadly. And so that kind of was the first mushroom that had an impression on me. And it's thanks to my upbringing with Uh, family members and grandparents that had uh, a a deep connection with the land that they were around.
0: Yeah, the destroying mushroom.
1: (laughs) The destroying angel. So yeah, so that was the first (laughs) mushroom I ever um, learned about. And then, uh, you know, around Easter time, we would go out every year and hunt for morels. And so we a lot of people know of this mushroom because it's a choice edible mushroom, really pricey at the grocery stores, like very elusive, hard to find. And so we would go, aunts and uncles, and everybody would go out every year and we'd be talking about our hauls. And so uh, that was something that I just grew up around. And, and so, yeah, so that was my kind of initial interactions, learning about fungi as a young person.
0: Yeah, I think it's something that nobody really has any connection to from a early childhood because I don't think, I mean, I can't, I remember them bringing it up in biology Mm -hmm. as like a quick, hey, like this is a thing. And then we just quickly moved on and I can't remember any, or, you know, having. I've I've never had a conversation with somebody who said, "Yeah, I learned a lot about mycology in school," and mm-hmm. but unless you specifically went to school for mycology, but public education doesn't really—it's like yeah. a footnote.
1: Yeah, it's a footnote. It's so hidden and elusive. They pop up sometimes just for a couple hours, uh, so it's it's this hidden, mysterious thing. And then you have a lot of like the mycophobia that kind of came in through colonization in Europe. So a lot of uh, you know there were a lot of famous popes and things like that like some were killed by assassination some by accidents and a lot of that phobia that came over from western europe uh during colonization that you know stuck with uh americans and really didn't change until the french began to like import their like um hot couture or hot uh, cuisine uh and that sort of changed it was a mycophobia Yes, and, yes. and so what was fear of fungi
0: and what was that stemming from?
1: So, um, like I said, the like uh, there were a few assassinations by um, I can't remember the Pope's name, but um, you can read a lot about these different events online. The, usually around the 15th century, there was like a real resurgence during that time of people going out and foraging in finding mushrooms, and there were a few people that um, accidentally died, and so there was a lot of people worried about that. Um, but I try to tell people in Central Texas, there's only one fatal mushroom that, um, that will, that, and, and I don't believe there's any sort of anecdote. Uh, so if you consume the destroying angel, it's the Eastern North American destroying angel, and that's the one you should know. And they are mycorrhizal, which means they have a symbiotic relationship with the tree, um, usually conifers, so pines. So going into Bastrop, uh, I've seen them there. Um, really hard to find. Uh, you know, you need a lot of rain, too, like mycorrhizal fungi. They do this relationship. They have this relationship with trees where they exchange water and nutrients for sugar Um, So it needs, we need a lot of rain for the fruiting, which is just the fruit, the fruiting body, the mushroom to occur. So, um, so yeah, so you see them a lot more in uh, East Texas where there's a lot more pines. Um, But, but yeah, Um, but yeah, that's the only fatal one. There's some, some that are toxic. Uh, I like to warn people about. Uh, there's one called the vomiter. That's the common name or chlorophyllum mollibites. And it is, uh, beautiful. It has beautiful green spores. It's also called the green spored parasol. Um, and it pops up on lawns and even in mulch. Um, and it also pops up around when we get a lot of rain, um, but uh, yeah, keep your pets and kids away from that one because it'll definitely make you uh, get some gastro distress and sure. get, a, get an upset stomach. Um, but yeah, there's <laughs> a few that are common here that that uh, that will that will cause like stomach upset.
0: Yeah, we've never had any situations like that with the kids eating the mushrooms there. But it's something I want to get more into for sure because i know it's just like everything like wild edible plants and you know resources from trees roots and all kinds of things that i you like you said it's a fruit so Mm -hmm. that's what the mushroom physically is is the fruit of the fungi Mm -hmm. and uh, like so like an apple and the how does it then propagate itself from that fruit
1: yeah, so uh, they have these things called spores, and so uh, we like to tell people the spores are kind of like uh, seeds, but there's a little bit of, it's it's a little bit different than a seed because it doesn't carry like an angiosperm and doesn't do all the same things that seeds do, and, and actually before we had microscopes and were able to really magnify and see spores, a lot of cultures believed that... Um, mushrooms were like they were classified until 1969 in the same um as, as either plants or animals because you know yeah. there's some really funky fungi out there that you know might have some characteristics that people might think are animalistic but uh but yeah not until 1969 did the western taxonomical um system create uh a, a special category a special kingdom for uh fungi so so, yeah, so, you know, they um, kind of lost my train of thought here.
0: We were just talking about, like, how they propagate. Oh, yeah, the they spores. propagate.
1: So, yeah, so spores. So, so there's some uh, there's some spores that have evolved that they can actually be asexual, and we see that in plants as well. Um, But yeah, so usually you need two spores to land in the substrate that's like the ideal condition. So fungi can be very picky. Like they need the right type of ground temperature, the right type of moisture, the right kind of substrate. And then it will start to shoot out what's called like a hyphae from there, which is similar to like a a single root of a plant. So just imagine like a tiny little thin strand of hyphae growing and it continues to that's like the stomach it's like looking for food so sending out all these tendrils and if anybody's watching the show last of us they 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 show a little bit of this happening i don't know if kids are watching that it's got a i don't know what kind of rating it has but uh but yeah um you get to see how this like fungi is like moving through the ecosystem and these threads and and finding more food and things to Things to consume, and if it's a mycorrhizal fungi, the one that I mentioned earlier, it is actually uh, communicating with the ecosystem. So it's detecting the moisture, it's detecting all of the uh, type of food that's available, and it's mining essentially for uh, nutrients like uh, like uh, phosphate and nitrogen, and it's giving it to the tree to keep it alive. Um, so 95% of our plants uh, need this relationship, need this fungi, and so that's why it's so important that we take care of our soils. Um, and, and yeah, a lot of the work that Central Texas Mycology does really involves this deep connection with soil, like helping people realize that it's alive, it's living, we must take care of it, um, and and we can do that by you know, adding fungal mass and fungal biomass to our soils.
0: So the mycelium network, it doesn't just spread itself out. It contains these spores and those spores can go and propagate more mycelium networks or just more mushrooms of that, you know, particular type or, you know, does it reconnect in the big picture, these spores eventually to everything else?
1: Yeah, so just depending on the type of, uh, the the sort of classification and the type that it is, um, it will, you know, continue to myceliate and create like a mass, which will then create like primordia, or um, it's also called like, um, like in the industry of cultivating mushrooms, they call them uh, baby mushrooms or pins, um, and they're just tiny mushrooms that will then fruit into a full mushroom. And sometimes you can have. Um, there's one species of mushrooms, of mushroom that um, it can mate with twenty three thousand different types of spores. Wow! So it's uh, <laughs> it's really common, and it actually has been found to grow on humans. So we, as humans, we are full. Like if you've never heard the term microbiome, yeah, we know that we have more microbes and fungal mass than we do actual human cells and so um if you know if you come in contact and it's and what i've read like the paper that was published on this um actually happening 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 in humans um if you have a, a, a a compromised immune system and you inhale the spores of this type of mushrooms it could like colonize on you and so they found it they found this uh, this person that uh, they did the study on. They had become really ill, and it had been growing on their, like, toes. Wow. So, yeah, so this so is the, some Last of Us stuff, too. Yeah, I was, was going to say that it. sounds
0: like the, the show.
1: But this particular mushroom is called um, split gill fungus or Schizophyllum commune. It's got really beautiful gills. Um like like the common name suggests, but uh and the
0: gills are the underside. The underside. Yes. Yes. And
1: mushrooms can have pores. They can also have gills. So when I say pores, it's um, you know, we share a lot of DNA with fungi. So I like to share with people like these similarities too. So when you turn in uh some uh, polypore mushrooms like on and we have a lot of these in central Texas, a lot of them are decomposer fungi.
0: They're the ones that break down the elms and the yeah, cedar elms. Yeah, they're breaking down like yeah. the
1: cellulose and lignin, sometimes just lignin, and um, they're breaking down trees. Uh, so all the stuff that's like come down in the winter storm over time, the spores that are floating all through the, the air, you know, we breathe about 10 spores per breath is the wow <laughs> So yeah, so we're breathing spores, we're very fungal people, right? Um, And when those spores land on things, if it's the right condition, it's the right type of wood that they like, um, they will, it will colonize it, it will become inoculated with this fungi and it will break it down, make those nutrients available for our other plants in the ecosystem that are still alive. So it's this recycling, natural recycling process. Um, and so we can learn a lot from this fungi, um, and it's super important that we, you know, not remove our um, all this matter that's coming out. Try to put it, keep it in the forest because it needs that nutrient to help the next generation of trees or the existing trees to continue to grow. Uh, so we're encouraging people during this um, this storm that we just went through to like inoculate their logs. Uh, you can buy things like plug spawn. Uh, one of the fastest decomposers that you can get is called turkey tail. Um, it looks like a turkey tail. Uh, it's also medicinal. Um, I'm not like a super expert on all the science of medicinal mushrooms, but there's a lot of papers and things you can read online. Um, but, yeah, we're encouraging people to, to uh, either buy spores online. We're trying to get some native fungi cultures going uh we had some but we used a lot of it up for different workshops and things like that but trying to get something started in the next month so people can start inoculating and um, doing doing um, some remediation and keeping all of that organic matter in the forest uh, because it's really needed you know we've lost a lot through our industrial agriculture practices things like that
0: so when the mushroom dispenses itself to propagate it. Can it just sit there dormantly and wait for those perfect exact terrain, you know, f- features that yeah. it needs. It just sits there and just waits. It can't like die. Like a seed from an acorn can eventually go bad and there's nothing you can do to yeah. once you plant it in the ground, it's going to come back to a tree.
1: So sometimes, yeah, it'll go dormant. Um, you know, uh, it will just uh, go dormant. And then when the conditions are right, it'll come back. And, you know, there's been spores found, you know, in the bottom of the ocean that scientists have been able to pull up and it's, you know, uh, millions of years old and been able to culture it what? and put it. yeah. How? Um, like it was stuck on something and it then was like inside covered.
0: Rocks. And, OK, I was going to say it was in yeah. layers of rock or. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's how they figured out where Ishii and all that stuff. You know, the story of the Ice Man and the Alps and the, yeah. the Swiss border, there was like pollen on his clothing and stuff. Mm-hmm. They figured out, oh, he's venturing through these. I was like, oh, I never would have thought about studying the pollen of areas. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. So it's, the fungi that they found down at the ocean, they, they what did they do with it?
1: I, I'm not so sure like what it was then used for, but I think that it's important to understand the sort of like uh, phylogenetic or the evolutionary tree of life, yeah. um, and that just helps us fill in the blanks yeah. of areas that we don't know yet. And so... Uh, One of the things I like to share with people too is, um, and this is one of, one of the things that I find that kids really love to learn. So there's these two big categories of rot fungi or like decomposer fungi. So like brown rot and then white rot. And so when we look at these like long continuum of decomposition um, and the evolution of fungi, we notice, um, and there's like a lot of kind of, going back and forth in the sort of, like, scientific studies, but, um, when the Triassic-Jurassic extinction event happened, we all know that, like, all living life on Earth, like, died at that point, you know, this big extraterrestrial object, like, came into, uh, the atmosphere and landed in the Yucatan, right, we all know the story now, (laughs) we're still learning about this, um, just the exact details of what happened during this event, but, um, when scientists have been able to catalog and do the genetics um, on fungi as it evolved, like before that happened, um, lignin was kind of left and didn't get decomposed. And so, you know, uh, and those are all like during, this was like during the period of, um, you know, when we had a lot of conifers and, and uh, you know, we all kind of know maybe sort of some of the plants that were around
0: Kind of more swampy and um, rainforesty. Yeah, Yeah,
1: like those kind of plants were around, and they um, couldn't break down completely. And so, um, one of the things no one ever shared with me is, you know, we just hear all the time that we don't have an infinite amount of coal and oil. Like we can't just like continue to extract, right? Like we learn this, and no one really ever told me it was because of the evolution of fungi. And so after that Jurassic. Jurassic event there must, there may have been like spores that came in on that, like meteor from another part, another wow. planet, maybe that's I know like fungi is an alien technology, right?
0: Um, I mean, if you think about it that way, that's exactly what it is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, which isn't remarkable. It's, you know, landed. And eventually when we look at what had happened with fungi, it started to eat lignin and cellulose, um, and so that creates, like, a nice soil rather than coal. Um, and so there's a lot of theories back and forth. It's like, some people think it's the amount of water that was in our ecosystems, too, like, because that, like, goes into the compression. Um, but just being able to do, like, genetics, like, we aren't finding a lot of fossilized white rot fungi before that event. So I lo- I'm kind of on, the, on the, the theory of, like, you know, Fungi is an alien technology, <laughs> and it came in during that period and sort of set us on a new track.
0: Yeah. Um, so well, we
1: can learn a lot from that.
0: Yeah, and we all know that science is one of those, you know, forms of institution that we we know it until we realize there's more. Yeah, You know?
1: You got to keep peeling the onion.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's totally fine at, at this moment in time to say, con- you know, currently this is what we know and this is what I think. And I I mean, that's where... Every form of science should stand until you do more hypothesis and research mm-hmm, and exactly. e- evidence gathering. And so what got you, you know, you you learned about the destroying angel <laughs> and you were kind of coming up in this interest of mushrooms. But what really like sealed the deal? Like when were you, OK, I'm going to take this and make a career out of it. And I'm going to, you know, make this my my passion for life. What were you doing? How yeah, did you get into so
1: it? I um. You know, I I shared that I had kind of a pretty unconventional upbringing. So, um, you know, there was a lot of economic problems that came up, like when I was about seventh grade growing up, and I ended up, me and all my siblings, we all ended up in foster care. And, um, you know, I became kind of really disconnected at that point because I was, like, uprooted, right, like, from my family, like, lived, didn't have my siblings anymore. Like, we'd spent all of our time outdoors like just dream building playhouses and, you know, playing in the woods and doing all kinds of uh, fun things outdoors. And once we didn't have one another anymore, like I kind of became your typical like disaffected, like checked out, like um, misanthropic like, young person, you know, and I gravitated towards, like, what I thought were, like, drugs at the time, you know, and so I, I tried psilocybin, like, pretty young, you know, when I was a teenager, and I don't recommend it for young people, because, like, taking it without, like, guidance can be really, can be pretty bad, and I'm glad that I, you know, was fine taking it at a young age, but it taught me these lessons that I still kind of carry with me today, so, you know, I learned, from the, from the mushrooms that I, and these are, um, all, you know, the sacred, sacred mushrooms and had been used by, for thousands of years by people all over the world. Um, now that we, you know, we're learning more and more through like anthropology and whatnot, but, um, you know, here they were made illegal, um, like right when fungi was like given its own category. category. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right at the same time, we we're like, jumping on, d- stepping on the moon, you know, uh, uh, there was a lot of political things happening and, and it was made illegal. And so, um, you know, I just happened to gravitate towards that sort of thing. And so that really changed my perspective even more, I think. And I don't think I had that fear as well to try it. Um, you know, a lot of young people in my high school and junior high were experimenting with like chemical type drugs and things at the time like meth was getting really bad um heroin I don't know if you remember whenever all the kids in Plano Texas like died of heroin there was like bad strains like coming up from I don't know what where things were trafficked at the time but there was a lot of people in my high school getting into that kind of stuff too but I was like no I'm gonna just stick with the natural <laughs> <laughs> stuff
0: yeah I'm not going <laughs> down that path yeah it's definitely think hard things out there that I think people just just be very cautious of about putting into their body, but yes, um, yeah, I know mushrooms are so n- normal to everything, and I I really do feel, um, God, who's the gentleman? In, is it what's his name? Um, is it Terrence McKenna? Terrence, the, McKenna. the what is it? The stone, stone, ape theory, stoned ape. So, you want to explain a little bit about what that could um, be?
1: Yeah, and I don't, I don't dig too deep into it. Like, I've listened to like a few and read a few articles about, um, but yeah, the belief and and I actually have like counter beliefs too. But I'm also kind of like I want to know like ten different ideas sure, at the same time. That's fine. Um, but yeah, the 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 theory is that um, humans like consciousness like evolved through um, the consumption of these medicinal um, or, or what people know as psychedelic mushrooms. Right. So psilocybin, and so um, uh, the theory is that m- I believe monkeys also. Uh, consumed them, and eventually, that's like our brains changed. Um, but m- I've I've read a lot of um, like I'm kind of lean. I lean more towards like pole shift theory, and that's how our consciousness changed. Um, I just don't know. Yeah, and I I just don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to be but to I be mean, quite honest.
0: I I think the concept behind the the Terrence McKenna theory about you know primates or early individuals on this planet picking things up and suddenly have their mind be altered because Mm -hmm. we all know when your mind gets altered you know it can create states of different things whether that's like rage or maybe bravery or like oh I feel like I need to do this and I've never Mm -hmm. felt the need to do this so I could imagine that yeah, taking something off the land and then maybe coming home after uh, hopefully surviving that and then telling everybody about what it is. They may have seen something within you that's like, whoa, like, the, I don't know if it would be classified back then as like a leadership trait but this guy's saying things that we've never thought we've never you know perceived or you know what is this so I totally think that that could happen because you know we share things with each other uh, culturally where I'm like whoa I didn't know you could eat that or oh I didn't know you could do that or that's a genius idea Mm -hmm. for that or it's so it makes sense that you would I don't know consume something and have a perception change and then go okay we're gonna go this route now yeah and for
1: me I definitely did like I you know the the mushroom sort of told me like I I'm not the person that because I carried a lot of shame you know and like embarrassment with the way I was like raised and so I think that it um it just told me like, I, you're not the one that should carry the burden and hold on to like your victimology, like rather than like holding that pain inside, like just, um, you know, uh, continue to like live your life and, and not like close yourself off. So it just like made me not feel alone. And it made me feel like there's so much more in the world than my, my own personal story. Yeah. So I think a lot of people go through that, especially with like the pandemic and all the isolation that people dealt with. And, you know, we kind of see the decriminalization movement happening at the same time. I think that if the pandemic hadn't happened and a lot of people weren't going through the sort of mental health crisis, quote unquote, that we're, we hear so much about these days, I don't think that um, that would be happening in sort of um, parallel Um but yeah, I support I support all of the decriminalization movements, and um, I do just I do have concerns like because I see what's sort of happened, you know, with like uh, the decriminalization of marijuana too. Like it's just it's sort of taking like I'm I'm more of like I want people to know how to use these medicines for their own personal consumption, and I think commodifying it it's just gonna get. Um, oh, yeah. Like the anything. biggest taker will, or, uh, you know, the like the 1% or whatever, the ones that will gain. Yeah. And that's,
0: that's what happened with the Colorado yeah, and Washington and yeah, all the yeah, rest. Yeah. So,
1: I mean, it's just inevitable. Like, it's sort of like, oh, do we even have to go through the pain of like th- however many years that it takes to like decriminalize things? Cause we already know like who will benefit mm-hmm. from these using. Uh, or at least, like, selling these medicines. Taxes. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're going to find ways to perpetually take your money. Yes, exactly. As a government agency, and then we're going to send it off to do things that no one wants. Mm-hmm. So, no, I agree. I, I feel like, you know, it's it's important to understand that nobody, I don't know, should be told, you know, what you can and can't. Do, but I think what you're telling me, you know, in a sense is that this mushrooms brought you to a place where it, it allowed you, you know, to have a perspective, a shift on life that, you know, the world isn't this great, big, scary place. And I don't have to live as a victim and I can. And so again, so my point going back to people shouldn't be told what to put in their bodies, like that helped you, mm-hmm. you know, and like yet people are telling you not to do that. So it's interesting. Like we definitely need to take. I always feel like an individual approach to everything healthcare. You know, because oh, you know, you're paleo or you're vegan or what. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, it's not one size Size fits fits all. all. Yeah, we need to figure out like what are. I I know, you know, there's people who are doing like uh, ketamine therapy Mm -hmm. and treatments and different things. And I've always thought that was like a cat tranquilizer from veterinarians. Mm -hmm. Never in the world did I think you could maybe take it to uh, help relief therapy and or, you know, relief trauma, excuse me, through therapy. But yeah, I I feel it's a good thing to try to explore, you know, the most healthy options first about unpacking whatever trauma that it is. But eventually, if you get to somewhere where you're like, man, I've done it all like, I don't see the reason why people shouldn't be allowed to attempt to utilize nature in those ways to help Mm -hmm. themselves heal and grow. So you got to Um, mushrooms, and now you realized, okay, maybe this is where other people are uh, needing help, and yeah. through that, you you brought this on too.
1: Yeah, and I, I was already involved in like um kind of the organic growing community, Austin Organic Gardeners, which is one of the um, garden clubs affiliated with uh, Zilker Botanical Garden, and so um you know it was always I was already like helping people learn how to grow their own food, um, being involved in their education programming. And, you know, at the, around the same time, I met some of the founders of Central Texas Mycological Society. Um, I had already been really into foraging, like, probably, I guess, like eight or nine years now. And I can kind of tell my, a little bit of my origin story. So I worked, when I moved to Austin, I moved here in um, 2001 and I worked in tech. So, like a lot of people, I moved here and just kind of got sucked into that world. And, you know, I'm kind of like, um, work hard, play hard kind of person, I guess, you know, and at the time I, you know, didn't, you know, really like, I sort of um, at the same time while I like, you know, knew I wasn't like learned that I didn't have to like do what my parents did. I rejected a lot of the things that they, the good things that they gave me. So we grew all of our own food. We um, uh, butchered all of our own meat on my grandparents' farm uh, probably illegal. I don't know. <laughs> um, but. Uh, you rejected all those things? Yeah, yeah. So I was you just didn't like, anything I don't to want do anything, with anything that. to do with this. You, you know, wanted to I live in like, civilization. and Yeah, like I was like, I'm going to like make money. Like I'm going to yeah. do this like tech thing. Like When were you feeling that really, way? Um, How old were uh, you? I was probably like, this is out of college, you yeah. know. So since I was awarded the court, I, w- I got scholarships to go to college, which was great. What did you study? Um, I th- actually studied. um I didn't really do what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a writer. (laughs) Sure. Um, But I was like, there's no money in writing. Um, I got to like do something that makes money so I can stay alive. Uh. Um, So, yeah. So I went to school for business and did like marketing, communications, advertising, propaganda, study propaganda. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah.
0: How to sell things that people don't need.
1: Exactly. And I think I read like Adbusters my senior year and I was just like, what am I doing? Oh, the no. Book. I was like, ah, what am I doing? So I did, um, you know, like even though it wasn't like a tech degree, like I learned about like some uh, tech, like I did animation for the web, like pretty early on when no one else did it. So I, you know, made a decent living, like having a skill set that not a lot of people knew how to do um so yeah i did that for till about i don't know there's a certain point where i just uh was getting really burnt out cuz i you know that's just the world too like the tech world and i around the same time like um i think you know the paul Stamets ted talk came out and this uh, research yeah. that um susan shamard uh, yeah. did about the mycorrhizal networks and the con- inter- the interconnectedness of trees Um, I was just like, wow, what am I doing sitting at my desk on this like fake internet? (laughs) It's like, I need to get into the real wood wide web that everybody's talking about. And the wood wide web. Yeah. And I was able to shift some things like financially my life. And, um, right around the same time I, um, I learned about, uh, um, a group of people going down to Mexico with Alan Rockefeller and went down this about seven years ago and we were in northern Mexico, and we stayed in this, um, it was in Quietaro. Uh so this, um, this teacher there, she worked with the government to make almost the entire state of Quietaro a biosphere, like protected uh, uh, from mining, extraction, resources, um, and they have money um, given to them by the government to, like, teach farmers like sustainable practices, and um, Is yeah, that it's across pretty amazing. The
0: border from Del Rio, that area.
1: Uh no, I think it's a little bit further south. Oh, okay, um, I can send you some links too because I can't remember the name of the the like. Because um, they also have like ecotourism built into it, similar to like um, you know, there's areas in Oaxaca where the land has been given back to the Zapotec people there that have uh, that are the land protectors there, so the government. Um, Benito Juarez, like, created programs where, um, you know, there could be ecotourism that could support the um, the programs. And so, you know, there's, like, cabins and things like that you can stay in and go and learn and have guides take you out to different areas. Um, and, you know, you pay, like, you know, uh, a Western dollar amount for these type of experiences yeah. too. It's That's not pricey. It's not like, um, you know, I know a lot of people like to travel in Mexico and get like that low dollar tourism experience, but this is like, don't expect. Yeah. You know, these are going to be a couple of grand to the, an expedition. Yeah. You're going to be yeah. giving back to the ecosystem. Um, and so, yeah. So, um, you so got that back from really, there. yeah, that really kind of was exciting. And then I think, um, you know, I, just being around all of the mycophiles and people into plants uh, really piqued my interest and made me more excited to get out and um, see, see Central Texas when I got home. Um, and I learned, I also learned about iNaturalist, like it had just come out around that time. And so I was starting to use that to help myself learn plant identification and uh, mushroom identification um, you know, I bought a book at Book People. I also um uh I also like I guess I really yeah, like then the pandemic happened and I had a lot more time on my hands and of course I didn't want to watch all the like fear mongering stuff on the news. Yeah. I was like, uh yeah, no turning this off. Uh going outside <laughs> and um, as we all should have. I learned that there were morels in Texas, you know, uh, when I started to get back into mushrooms, but I hadn't found any. I'd been trying every year, and it's during South by Southwest, so it was hard to, like, juggle your time during that period. And so I – that was shut down, <laughs> so I didn't have anything to do, like, during the pandemic. Um, and I found morels, like, right away. So I was like, holy crap, this is exciting. Like, my, this is, like, reconnecting me back to, like, that – Sort of endorphin rush, or <laughs> like that Easter egg hunt.
0: You can find a lot of them at St. Edwards Park up north. Oh, yeah? Yeah, there's a lot up there. That's where we would go hunting for them. Nice. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever been out It's off Old Spicewood Springs Road. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've yeah. been
1: there. Um, yeah, so there's a couple of good spots that I've found in this area. But, yeah, like all in that kind of escarpment, mm-hmm. very yeah. alkaline soils, uh, that sort of thing. Um But yeah, like that really got me more into foraging too.
0: What was the first thing you cooked with those morels?
1: Uh, Butter and garlic. Yeah, (laughs) you just threw
0: threw them in there and sauteed them in a little cast iron pan and stirred them up. First time I ever did that with mushrooms was in California and it was with some chanterelles. I was with a survival school and they were like, everyone just ran in a direction all of a sudden. I was like, what's going on? They were like, somebody spotted some chanterelles over there. I was like, oh, "What does that man. mean?" And everyone just fled. It was amazing. So there was like, I guess, these little orange and yellow, golden-looking yes. mushrooms all over the place down in this valley. We were in, I think, They're Camp huge Camp Black. Yeah. yeah, underneath this big redwood canopy, and we went, took them back, cut them up, do them in a cast iron with just like mm-hmm. you did, g- garlic and butter, mm-hmm. and it was they were delicious. It's the best, yeah. So I yeah, it, I wish more people. I guess got out to like look for things like that because most people are just like, ah, it's not worth my time. But I found a couple of Facebook groups. That's like all they do. <laughs> just yeah, like Morel oh, yeah. hunt in Central Texas. <laughs>
1: yeah, there's um, you know, in the Midwest, it's like a really big deal. Like you can find a lot. So. Um, occasionally you find them in the groceries. Uh, like I think I saw them at central market like a couple years back and it was like $90 a pound. Whoa. Yeah. And I'm in the wrong business. Right, right. <laughs>
0: you harvest some morels. Do you, do you find them, uh, cleaning them or hard?
1: Uh, not so much. Like with morels, you just want to make sure you cut it open, uh, first and be careful because it's hollow on the inside. And so. Uh, it can be like home to like insects and and I've even found like scorpions and stuff like that. Little baby scorpions in my, uh, uh, chanterelles as well. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I've
0: had them kind of like get gritty and things like that from not cleaning them well. My teeth. I'm like, (laughs) oh yeah.
1: And you can really submerge, especially morels. You can submerge them. Some people put like a, put them in a salty bath. Like you don't want to let them soak over time. Okay. They will like cook a little bit too, especially if the water is warm, but just like dunking them and water. Yeah, we use cold water. Cut them yeah. in half first. Like, make sure you let the insects go back outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> you took their house away from them.
0: Yeah. We always harvest with white sheets. So we, we toss them on there and they're you opened up. Yeah. yeah. We can see the insects running away. So, mm-hmm. cause, and don't bring it inside. Always do it in like your garage or right outside and cut them all open there so the insects don't have to. Because you'll be rounding them all up inside, <laughs> trying mm-hmm. to get them outside quickly, um, and so you got through. And and what did you start the Central Texas Mycological Society or
1: uh, no? There was a uh, it was founded by and I I remember running into the same group uh, when William Padilla Brown was in town like maybe it was like eight seven or eight years ago, um, maybe not that long ago, six years ago. Um, he did a, a program at, with two hives honey, and um, you know, I was just kind of lamenting, like, oh, there's nothing here. And they're all like, we're starting a molecular society. And Daniel Reyes, he started the um, Myco Alliance, which a lot of people are familiar with. And he was doing some uh, micro remediation work and things with Ecology Action yeah. out at the Myco Research Station. He's so the one he who ended up getting like a,
0: a grant and to Mexico, right? Is,
1: yeah. Is that so the gentleman? He's still down there doing, okay, yeah. uh, doing research in Mexico. And, and he's made that his home. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's really exciting to kind of follow his journey too, but, um, but yeah, and there's, uh, um, a few other folks that were involved and that are still involved. Um, but yeah, yeah. And I, I kind of got, uh, involved, like more involved during the pandemic too, because I was really, you know, kind of helping people get online more. Uh, a lot of people were worried, you know, they were going to lose their communities with the pandemic. And so, um, helping the Central Texas Mycological Society be more online, uh, and you know, doing like the newsletter and things like that. Um, and I've just stepped more and more in, like, do a lot, m- mostly like the um, educational programming. Um, and this past year, we kind of reactivated. We won our first grant through the Urban Forestry, the City of Austin Urban Forestry. Yeah, it was very exciting. Um, it's like an art and. Um, Art and science research project like looking at uh, the uh, fungal like using fungal amendments to the soil t- and studying tree growth over time uh, so yeah so that's something that we hope to continue to build on and uh, we were able to get a little bit of money to like secure and, and make the micro research station more stable and so that's just a community space, and we really encourage people t- that are interested in doing any kind of research or even, like, l- cultivating, needing a place to do outdoor cultivation uh, to sign up or um, get involved. And it's right near Roy Guerrero Park. Um, and we, do, we have four programs that we're doing there a year through this Healthy Soils, Healthy Trees program. Uh, that I mentioned that we won the grant for uh to study uh both mycorrhizal fungi and decomposer fungi and its uh contributions and uh what it can do to help our trees grow uh stronger and bigger and and whatnot. Um but yeah, so people can uh it's really like a public space. So if, if somebody came to us and was like, Hey, I wanna do this, we have a little bit of funds to help with supplies and things like that, but if someone wanted to run an experiment or have a space, um, they could, they could use this space.
0: Yeah. And that's at the Mycological Research Station at yes. Ecology Action. Yeah. Yes. And so for those of you who are listening who don't know Ecology Action <coughs> at Circle Acres, um, as Angel said, it's over by the Colorado River in Roy Guerrero Park. And it's just a public, um, it's open till dark, opens it dawn. Um, but you're, there's trails. Um, please maintain the bike trails versus the walking trails. <laughs> People like to take their bikes on the trails that are walking only. Um, but yeah, you can go back there and explore. It is a uh, bioremediation land um, stewardship endeavor, where it used to be a formerly landfill like a landfill like a know, big like landfill. A dumping site, dumping site yeah. yeah
1: and it was extracted to to build uh we believe it's like i-35 yeah so. that's what it was mm-hmm. so it's now kind of like um it's turned into a wetland because so much of the aggregates were extracted out of that area so now it's a a um a uh, like wetland you see a lot of blue herons and mm-hmm. birds that little pond's that cool. Area. It's very cool. Yeah. It's
0: filling in with that sesbenia uh, plant right now. The river oh, yeah. hemp plant. It's just everywhere. <laughs> yeah. But you can make baskets out of that stuff and rope and all oh, kinds wow. of cool stuff. Yeah, oh. I'll I'll have to go along with you on one of your mycological walks one day, and I'll show you what all the yeah. cool native plants like do, and you know what I don't know. Yeah, there's <laughs> I, some
1: really uh, cool plants over there. Lots of nettles. Yeah, mugwort. There's um, a
0: lot over there that they continue to. Propagate. and and Fungi
1: too, lots of reishi. Um, We found some oysters when we were doing one of the work days to plant trees for the healthy soils, healthy trees. Someone found some oysters. So they grow, oysters grow on, um, they decompose like black willows here. Um, And that's where I most commonly find oyster mushrooms.
0: Which we have a lot of. In yeah. central Texas, a lot of salix, salix negras, um, black willow species. There <coughs> are, cl- are fungi and mushrooms are like, classified into like different types, you know, like like you were just saying, there's, you know, like conifers versus, you know, deciduous oaks. Are there like types of mushrooms that are different like that? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So what each, are some of those?
1: Um, you know, each mushroom has its its uh, kind of host or w- who it likes to partner with, either decomposing or the symbiotic relationship, so... We talked a little bit about chanterelles, for mm-hmm. example, and they're a mycorrhizal fungi and they um, are found with like very mature oaks. So um, like our escarpment type oaks, our Texas live oaks, and um, they need a lot of like buildup of that substrate, you know, so the leaves falling and the um, the sort of duff like buildup like is creating the perfect uh, substrate for them and they need a lot of water so when we get these kind of like torrential downpours where um uh it's like a flash flood like usually in like uh, may may through like anytime we've even found them in august like in the uh, when we had the two years of really ha- really nice rain like 2020 2021 Uh, We were finding them even in August, so when it feels kind of like a sauna outside, (laughs) I tell people that's when there's chanterelles growing. So, like, get out near your beautiful escarpment oaks six, seven days after a rain, and you're sure to find some um, chanterelles.
0: Yeah. What are some of the first things, like, for people listening to this who are going to get into mycology and mushrooms after this podcast, what are the first things that you want to make sure of? Before you get into it all.
1: Yeah, so I would say you want to know how to take good photos because good photos are going to help you kind of do your homework. So a lot of people, especially when we go out and take walks with people, they want to know right away, like, what is that? And that's not like the most important thing. The most important thing is to like get a good documentation of it. Um, because they can change so quickly too over time. So you're, you're sort of in this like magical mushroom moment of like seeing this like special fruiting body that's come up just for you for like, you know, it's only going to be there for a couple of, um, maybe a couple of, of days. So you want to get good documentation of it. Um, so we tell people, make sure you get a nice picture of the cap you get a picture of the underside so don't be afraid to touch a mushroom you can touch any mushroom uh, and and make sure you get the underside uh, so you know if it has gills or pores you're also going to want to take a picture of its surrounding so like look at like what it's growing on this sort of substrate or the, the is it in leaves is it growing in leaves is it growing on a stump yeah under um, a canopy versus yeah. indirect light yeah and so like even take <clears throat> pictures of the plants that are that's around it um and then later when you're out of the forest and you have good internet you can um use apps to kind of get you into the right space um and then you can also look at all kinds of there's all kinds of websites where people compare photos um another really great resource i know some people don't aren't on facebook But there are, um, and this is like due to Alan Rockefeller, like he made a ton of Facebook mushroom identification groups and all different types of mushroom interest groups. Um, And that is like one of the reasons why I'm probably still on Facebook is for all of the mushroom community that's there. it's big. And so you can find really helpful resources. There's a Texas Mushroom ID group, and there's people on there just waiting to help you with your ID. Um, so yeah, so you, if you get stumped and you can't figure out by looking at different photos or you want to confirm, I always tell people try to identify it because you want to be have that intrinsic motiva- motivation. You know, um, try to identify it yourself. Then go to the group and say, I think it's this one. What do you all think? And other people will chime in and tell you if you're, if you're right or wrong um but yeah that's the best that's some of the best ways like to sort of like learn identification be familiar with what's around you um and that's that's the process I see a lot of people taking to kind of make that hurdle and not overcome that sort of mycophobia Uh, but just getting out there and taking photos of them they're so fun to photograph um you can really get some nice photos especially with uh mobile phones mobile cameras they're the technology is getting better and better. Even, um, you know, we do a lot of these like UV night walks and even taking night photography can be a lot of fun. Um, and you know, there's, there's a lot of cool mushrooms that have different color qualities under UV lights. They fluoresce. Uh, there's some that even bioluminesce in central Texas. So, um, if you're super into photography, it's, it can be a lot of fun just to photograph the mushrooms. I mean, I know like people like, um, you know, you, uh, some of y'all may have seen fantastic fungi. So Steve Axford, he's a photographer from Australia. He, um, you know, started, uh, photographing mushrooms just so he thought they were so beautiful. And then he started to learn their names and g- gained, the, uh, you know, became kin, you know, developed that kinship with the fungi. Um, and that eventually, you know, he, he would do like time-lapse photography, so he was taking mushrooms, uh, there's certain types of, some species of mushrooms where you can, you know, you find them in a certain level of their growth or their morphology, and you can take them and put them in a studio kind of environment and photograph them, and so he um, was doing that, and he uh, worked, uh, he ended up a lot of his photography was used for the Fantastic Fungi movie.
0: Very cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, he uh is dedicated, you know, he worked in tech as well and like now he dedicates all his time to being outdoors and he's in his retirement age now, but um spending time going all over India and China and he's come out with a few uh documentaries of of the process of like learning about all the fungi in these regions. And going out with the people there.
0: So, the very first thing if you're getting into mycology is to get good at taking photographs and make sure that you're finding a community to share mm-hmm. said information that you discover. Now, those of you who aren't on Facebook and maybe don't have that, um, do you, you said earlier iNaturalist. Um, there's a great app out there called iNaturalist where you basically take photos of something. You can then um, put your opinion on what you think it is but you can also click this little button that says need you know help id yeah what
1: are the recommendations and it really is recommendations like we always tell people it's not you know you never want to take anything i tell people don't take anything it's 100 percent. yeah
0: like, you um, know the reason that i would say go the route of iNaturalist naturalist versus the facebook group is because i've definitely seen you know you look at some of those groups there's 20 30 000 people in some of these groups there's a lot of people who are just amateur people but I feel people who make iNaturalist accounts are like really yeah like they it's like they're either botanists or they're dendrologists or they're you know and they are the ones when once you get that research grade photograph or whatever you know it Mm -hmm. goes into a database for the citizen science naturalists Yeah, yeah exactly so um you don't you don't have to get on the book to be a part of this you can do it and but what are your thoughts on apps um such as like seek do you think those are trustworthy for, um,
1: yeah. So seek from what I understand, it's like using the same engine. It's also made by the, uh, iNaturalist, um, and in the, I think it's the California, like they get money from NatGeo Geo and California Academy of Sciences. And so I believe that it uses the same algorithms. It just, it's more for like real time feedback. It's just yeah. the, the sort of user experience is a little different. Um, I personally don't use it because I want to kind of catalog and like, um, I also like to use the web version of iNaturalist, uh, you know, using the map view is really, really helpful. Being able to see where other people have seen observations of specific mushrooms. Um, and it really helps you kind of learn seasonality. Like that's key. A lot of people are like, you don't want to give up your spots, because you know, we take people out. We do like a chicken of the woods bike ride every year. Like it's called Myco Psycho, where we ride around and look for a chicken of the woods. And like this last year, we probably found like 15 pounds of it, like so much of it. And people are always like, don't give up your spots. And um, I'm like, you know, they tell me, don't give up your spots. And I'm, I always remind people like foraging and observing mushrooms, it's all about timing. So it's like, you really, really got to develop like this kinship and learn the seasonality. And I think I probably started with like plants and, you know, once you learn when your plants are, you know, they're, they're flowering at this time, they're, uh, they're fruiting at this time, you know, like you learn the sort of life cycle of plants and fungi and really tune in and that's the real dialing in of the sort of earth's internet that I uh, like to sort of uh, use a play on word um, and share with people but but yeah it's all about timing everything so much of of being in tune with nature is about timing and you know our ancestors were so tuned in and way they had different types of calendars that were just built around Uh, ecology and tuning in with the all the cycles the moon cycles the sun cycles like uh, all of our elements um, knowing like the types of clouds that are here means certain you know this this is you know this is going to happen next like that sort of thing so
0: yeah really be just being a part of the ecosphere like you're Mm -hmm. an animal Mm -hmm. I think that's what happened is we culturally just elevated ourselves through whatever means you know and just said hey we're above it all and uh I like that it's like triangular shape and we're at the top but it should be like spherical and we're just like in there somewhere because mm. I always tell the kids I'm like well you you are an animal so I would totally expect you to react or behave or engage like that so that's okay yeah. you know we will we'll, we're not forgiving that because that's just who you felt like being in that moment so like you know I was telling them I'm like there's no bad feelings I was like, There's bad expressions of those feelings. Mm -hmm. I was like, but there's no bad feelings. Like, you want to throw things? Let's throw things, Mm -hmm. you know? So let's be animals. And I think it's so healthy for us to just get into reconnecting with ourselves and this passion that we have. Because I don't think that you can go... Outside, you know, go climb a mountain and um, not have a desire to suddenly be like, okay, well, what were those trees that I passed? What are these rocks I'm stepping on? What are those birds I see in the, mm. what's that poop on the trail? You know, there's so many questions. I think the human suddenly needs to, I also to just ask. think yeah. it's who we are. We want to like categorize everything, yes. compartmentalize everything. What's well, sort
1: of the extractive mindset. This yeah. It's like imported here. I always explain to people and I, I, I've done a couple of talks, too, just on, um, like, uh, our relationship with fungi through time, like, going all the way back, like, 40,000 years ago, the first depictions of fungi in, like, artifacts, like, um, and so I have, like, a real, you know, I did kind of a deep dive trying to understand that, but, yeah, there's periods in our history going back hundreds and hundreds of years ago where I... feel like that extractive and i think it all like leans towards like alchemy like in the west like when alchemy happened and when like Reinheitsgebot, all that sort of happened like uh when you know certain types of uh when the catholic church defined like what people could consume correct in their beer right um because people were drinking all kinds of um you know, wild herbs and things that did all kinds of things mm-hmm. um, to, to sort of have this, like, deep connection with their ancestors, with uh, ecological knowledge, with the land. Um, and I think that sort of got lost through time, um, you know, as we're now here on this uh, turtle island. Yeah,
0: <laughs> definitely. And again, it goes back to the, the science of things, how we, our perceptions change. Mm-hmm. You know, we learn new things like, hey, this is best. This is great to be in your building. Oh, really? Yeah. It's not good? Oh, shocking. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I always just try to have empathy no matter where I'm at in the consideration of, well, if I was that person who'd faced those circumstances in that moment in time, like I might have made that same decision. You yeah. Know? Like so, we're not, the yeah, sort not of perfect.
1: purity, the purity sort of mindset is also something that we just like. There's mistakes made. Yeah. I'm totally okay with that.
0: As long as I'm learning from mistakes are great. You know, I tell the kids that all the time. I'm like, look, it's not that I'm better than you at this. It's just like, I've tried more times, Mm -hmm. right? I've failed more times than you've tried. That's, that's really what's going on here. And that's okay. Like you, I fail right in front of them sometimes, not on purpose, but just to like, let them know, like, it's okay. I'm not this cross-legged guru up on a mountain that you need to try to atone Mm -hmm. towards Mm -hmm. you know it's not like that I'm learning from you in fact I always ask them I'm like well I don't know what the answer is but here's the problem Mm -hmm. and they're like okay and I'm like watching what they're doing like oh I wouldn't have thought to do that so Mm -hmm. I'm learning constantly from them so we just need to be in that mindset together of making mistakes is um it's okay
1: yeah, and I've been telling a lot of like uh, in in some of our classes too. And we just um, all um, we had Sophie Strand who came out with a book uh, recently called Rewilding the Sacred Masculine, and she gets into mm. like a lot of these myths over time and how they've been kind of reconstructed through history, but also like just allowing the magic to happen. Like when we can't explain things, like we can we can allow uh, you know we can. It's okay to not have an explanation for everything, you know, and just, you know, let, let it be magic, especially for young people. You know, they need that in their lives too.
0: Right. Yeah. There, I mean, there's things out in space that. I mean, we can't, we don't have the words to describe what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, that's magic, I guess, in a way. What about <clears throat> mushrooms? Do you think that, you know, there's old sayings about, oh, we don't know anything about space, but we know even less about the bottom of the ocean than we do about space. Do you think that's the same kind of concept when it comes to fungi, as far as humans and their understanding of it? Because we're slowly discovering like the, I guess, biggest recent thing is that mushrooms consume oil, yeah, right, in yeah. in certain yes. ways. Can yeah, talk a little so, bit
1: about that? um, I mean, it's, the estimate is that we only know about 10% of, uh, fungi and microbes, you know, there's, uh, so little that we know, um, and yet we like make these really like broad spectrum decisions at the same time in our, like, and I guess in like the chemical industry, right, um. So yeah, so I think that we have a lot, a lot to learn, and and I think due to the mycophobia, of, um, a lot of it happened whenever psilocybin was like dec- was criminalized. Um, a lot, there was a lot of research, not just around that medicine, but also other areas of mycology that was kind of shut down. Um, and part of the reason why there's not as much funding and we're not looking at it as much It's because it's kind of hidden, um, most of the time, but with, uh, you know, there's been a little bit of a reawakening, you know, with the help of like popular culture, like films and things like that. Um, and you know, I, I, I can't explain to all of the reasons why I think like with a lot of mobile technology and being able to like take pictures of things and we have like a you know we're in this like information age um you know on the internet like that all helps to like elevate and bring more interest and uh hopefully more funding towards uh this field of mycology and um one of the other programs we got involved with um the city of Austin like They hired a mycologist um, to do to study mycorrhizal fungi in the uh, uh, Balcones Canyonland Preserve, and so there's a mycologist that uh, we we went out and did like a myco blitz with them and collected the roots of certain types of trees, so we could understand the DNA and the genetics of certain types of mycorrhizal fungi to help inform. Preservation and remediation and biological restoration efforts uh, for this region. Um, so yeah, so there's are there some things happening. Uh, it's just not. It's not. Compa- it's not. Com- you know, compared to other industries, there's just n- definitely not enough research to help us kind of get a little bit further to understand this sort of, like, thing that's been living with us and cycling our planet, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how Three or how four that, times it, over, like, right? through all the mass extinctions. It can live in, like, vacuums of space. It can live in lava and water. <laughs> it's like, we should know more about this guy. I,
0: I definitely feel that same thing. I think that the, re- the reason people aren't doing it is because it's not, you know, you can't make money off of it yet. Right. Yet. Just wait, but oh, it, yeah. it's coming. I guarantee you. Yeah. I mean, but do you think that the <clears throat> you had mentioned, you know, about the technology? Like, do you think that it's helping people come closer to all this stuff?
1: Oh, definitely. I I can tell just by consuming it in my diet, like eating more like oyster mushrooms, like even things that are cultivated or things I grow using low tech methods, um, growing mushrooms in my garden, for example, um, eating wild mushrooms. I feel just a more um more like connected and more uh like it just builds like a better stomach lining too like um you know fungi have like complex sugars. Uh you know, it's the uh the type of long chain polysaccharides called a chitin. It's also the same uh exoskeleton in um shellfish and insects and so it's it's a complex sugar and we're so used to eating these like really like refined easy sugars and simple carbohydrates that when your body starts to have to like do some more work your stomach is just like yes like this is what i want you know because it's been we've been consuming like complex carbohydrates for so long in our evolutionary history our stomachs have gotten so much weaker because we haven't had these like complex things. So tr- adding more like uh, beta glucans, which are the the types of sugars that are in the mushrooms, like adding more of that into your diet uh, will just help you. You know, we know the brain gut connection, right? Like mm-hmm. the, our, the health of our stomach is the health of our brains. Um, and it's really like tied even to the soil, in my opinion, like the health of the soil consumes what we eat. Um, and that's why I like eating a lot of wild food too. Um, especially things coming out of the forest where the forest is, is a much, uh, has a much more diversity in the soil as well. Um, but yeah, so all of those things are connected.
0: Absolutely. It just seems so clear to me, you know, without uh, like an elementary school kid could be like yeah we should probably throw some funding that way because if it's capable of doing all these things and you know all of these things are intertwined around it mm-hmm. it almost seems like you know the common denominator here to study it mm-hmm. you know what what else can it do but unfortunately we have got to rely on folks like you and the mm-hmm. Central Texas Mycological Society and so how do we get involved with yeah. what it is that we're doing with you know ctms um, yeah so we're
1: a, on, um we're go. a membership based um we're a membership based uh nonprofit. uh so we a lot of our support comes through memberships we're now over 800 members which is really great uh especially considering like the last few years what we've all gone through um uh, so, yeah, so we do all types of events. We take people out on walks. Uh, we do um, online programs, too. So I know not everybody can always, like, come into the central Austin area. Or, um, and we do some things in San Antonio as well. Uh, but we have workshops, too. We have one coming up, um, two coming up, actually, this weekend, teaching people how to grow mushrooms using uh, containers, Uh, So you don't have to necessarily even have, like, a lot of space. Uh, You can uh, grow mushrooms, like, indoors even. Uh, But, yeah, we're going to show you some, like, outdoor methods and how to grow them in your gardens or grow them in containers. Uh, We also do, um, we have a talk coming up with a mushroom farm that's based in the valley. And uh, we're going to learn about what mushrooms can teach us about collaboration And so they're going to talk just generally about like fungi. It'll be great for people just kind of learning and learning how uh, they're learning the life cycle of fungi. Um, We also um, are doing we postponed it because of the ice storm, but we're going to take a couple. We have a couple more Texas star mushroom walks on the calendar uh, so this is our new state mushroom. So we worked with the legislature in the last session in 2021 um, and worked with advisors to get a state mushroom. Yeah, and we've so never had one before. Isn't that yeah, weird? Yeah, so there's only three <sighs> states actually that have them. I was going to say there's only a couple. <clears throat> um, yeah, in California and, and, and New York are like working to get their state mushroom now too. <laughs> they mm-hmm. had bills in their last uh, legislature. But um, but yeah, it's a really special mushroom. Uh, I keep I my uh, interest in it continues to grow, and every time I see it, I learn something new. Um, but yeah, so it's only found in um, central Texas area, kind of along the I-35 corridor up to the Oklahoma border, and then it's found in San Antonio as well, like a little south of San Antonio. So it grows near our cedar elm trees. And so um, it grows on the s- actual stump, like on the stump. So it, um, another common name of this mushroom is the devil cigar. Um, and the Latin is Coriactris gaster. So it uh, shoot, it comes out of the ground and it begins and it looks like a cigar shape. And it's, like, hollow. Um, it's considered um, a, a cup fungus or escomycetes. And it um, is the only mushroom in its genus, right? And so it comes up. It's, like, a cigar shape. And then it, over about 12, 13 hours, it splits open into a star shape uh, with, like, three to eight leathery kind of star, like, uh, points. And, um, I did some kind of, I wanted to do some time-lapse photography and I wasn't sure like if I could even do it. Like I asked a few people that had been doing their own photography of the mushroom indoors, like bringing it from the outdoors in and setting it up in a studio environment. Um, I was explaining kind of how Steve Axford would do things in the wild. So, um, once I learned that I could take it from its substrate because it's actually attached a lot of times to like a root or a st- or like the wood of this cedar elm stump, and the stump is, has to be about like five to ten years um, of into its decomposition. So they kind of look. You have to look for a certain aesthetic as well. Um, like they like people describe it as like a black crown. Um, so it's black and it's either got some other fungus that has, um, colonized it. Um, but yeah, like it's pretty broken down and it's got pointy, pointy parts of it. It's really, really hard to see because it's, you know, the ground is already, you know, probably you have to wait till it rains to see mushrooms fruiting. So the ground is already moist and dark brown. And then the mushroom, when it's a cigar shape, it's also a dark brown, so you really, really have to know, look for the stump. Um, and it's a very specific type of stump. And so uh, I we also learned recently, um, so it also grows in Japan. Um, and scientists that have done analysis, like DNA analysis, have found that it's separated by 19 million years. What? I it's know. the same thing? So no humans were around then, and it's the same thing. But it also grows on a different type. It grows on oak stumps. Yeah. So the coolest thing about this mushroom, and I observed this because I brought these like cigars home. There's an area in Austin that had a bunch of them. Um, So even though it's like considered rare, it's like geographically rare. I want people to know like there's a lot of them. Like people send us photos all the time because they hear it's rare. It's geographically rare. And so we're very lucky to have this, to be able to see this, like people want to come from all over the world to see this mushroom. So, you know, it's also found in Japan. And then someone messaged us on Instagram like three weeks ago, when we were doing our um, Texas, some more Texas star walks with the Zilker Botanical Garden. And two people have documented the mushroom in Taiwan. So along kind of their ocean, like close to the Japanese border, and so, um, so they're working on getting that sort of in the like Western taxonomical. Like they have to write a paper to make sure that it's all legit and whatnot. <coughs> the um, kids
0: find them all the time at Mary Moore and places like that. Yeah, they're and they're everywhere. like, "What are you? What is this thing?" I'm like, "Oh, it's a little. It's actually a mushroom." They're like, "What? It's yeah. like a like it looks like a seed pod." I'm like, "I know
1: it, It's it's really weird. Odd. Yeah, and it, once it gets dried <coughs> up too, you know, because it." Will will dry up once it, um, you know, with our t- weather the way it is. It can be wet one day and then, you know, 70 degrees the next. Um, but, yeah, so I when I brought these home and I was documenting them and doing time-lapse photography, I had read in um, the Wikipedia page and a couple of other descriptions of this mushroom that it makes a hissing noise. And um, there's these things called spore guns in certain types of mushrooms. There's 15 mushrooms that are documented that have this mechanism where they shoot their spores off and it makes a firing sound. These are called spore guns, right? And so it's a pretty thick, like a leathery body of this mushroom and the, the sort of things that it shoots through. I'm sure like long areas, um, and so, as I was doing the time lapse photography, as they started to open, I noticed they were shooting off their spores. And so, I um, wanted to. I heard them hissing, and I switched my camera to record to record it. Yeah, the audio. I didn't have a good enough microphone. Ah. And so that night, I just had the hardest time sleeping. I kept getting up. Like I, I hooked up a lavalier mic to my camera phone. Uh, to get good audio, and I kept waking up that whole night, like, oh, they're not going to do this, they're not going to do this, and then the next day, I um, was like, maybe I just don't have, like, good enough uh, audio equipment, and I even did, like, a, a post on social media, does anybody have any really sensitive, like, contact mics, or anything like that I can use to try to get a good capture of this audio, and um, I was like, Right after I posted that, I was like, I'm just going to take them and walk them around the room and try to, and I documented it the whole time, but I wanted to simulate like wind because when you blow on some cup fungus, they will like spread spores. So I was like, I'm going to just walk, take them on a walk. And I had these things in like an aluminum kind of, uh, barbecue type tray nice, with like soil in it, like potting soil. And so I was like walking them around my house. And then I went to set them down where it was like really nice lighting and I had my little tripod and everything set up and they just started to go off like, they sound like frying bacon. And so I think it's the first time that anything's been documented with like good audio of um the spore guns like firing that's amazing so i was like oh my god this is our state mushroom how appropriate that
0: is so cool (laughs) yeah i want to see that video and hear it now
1: yeah we put it on our youtube channel and we have it on our social media and stuff too but um but yeah we have a couple walks like taking people out we really want people to get a chance to see our state mushroom because having a state mushroom really helps us elevate the importance of fungi um one of the members of our mycological society, she also wants to work with like Texas parks and wildlife and get it eventually on a license plate with other flora and fauna. Um, So that's something that we want to kind of eventually do as well. But we feel like we have a couple of years of really educating people, like taking people's on walk, taking people on walks. Um, You know, we did, uh, walks at zilker this year we had a uh, artist that um is from bellingham washington but he included our state mushroom in a mushroom tarot deck that he made uh which is beautiful art and uh it was a lot of fun to like have him down here and talk about his inspiration and show him the texas star mushroom since it only can be found in this region but but yeah i encourage everybody to go out they'll be uh, they'll be popping up um i found some yesterday uh, they were a little dried up in um, Mayfield Park. And I usually tra- tag them on iNaturalist so other people can kind of go to the same stump because they'll just keep popping up like yeah. through the season, which is um, like late November till like end of February. So we have another month and it's going to be a rainy month. So hopefully we see a lot of them. Uh, but yeah, it's a very fun mushroom to learn about
0: very cool well everybody uh listening I want y'all to know I believe amplify Austin is going on right now
1: um, it, um, it's March 1st through second
0: oh oh it's about to start but you yeah. can you can donate now though yeah, you can you early can still donate yeah. donate um so amplify Austin is I live here I give here um, it is a way to support these nonprofits. And so the CTMS, the Central Texas Mycological Society, uh, would love to see some funding and some donation, not only with um, funds, but with your time. And they have everything set up to help you get started on learning about mushrooms and all, all kinds of forays, classes, I mean, guest speakers, workshops, you name it. They are here to help educate us in and grow community so well i still have a lot of things i want to ask you about so would you come back on again in the future sure yeah Yeah? okay cool because we've got like the ut fungarium to talk about we've got all kinds of things but um angel it has been such a pleasure having you on thank you so much anything uh else we need to do where can we find you on instagram and all that how do Uh, we do that
1: yeah so we're central texas mycology on instagram um if you want to follow my foraging adventures i'm forage.atx there you go you can find me there
0: well, thank you so much. All right. I hope you all have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening. Thanks. See you. you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.